Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. The call to confession this morning is from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. He is the invisible image, I'm sorry, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. It is to the glory of the Father and the pleasure of our Savior that we, his people, be rich in high and happy thoughts concerning the person of Christ. This passage from Paul's letter to the Colossians was written for that very purpose. Jesus is not content that his brethren should think lowly of him. It is his desire that we delight in his greatness and his beauty. We are not to regard him as a simple necessity like bread or water, but as a luxurious feast, as a rare and stunning delight. We are not to treat him as a casual friend, a self-help guru, or a wish-granting genie. He is Emmanuel, God himself come down in human flesh. He is the creator of all things, and through him and in him all things, as the NIV translates, are held together. The very woman from which he was born, he knit together in her mother's womb. The very molecules of the steel nails driven into his hands, He held together so that they would pin his body to the cross. Such thoughts should inspire awe within us. If this is not enough, let us remember the estimation that Christ has had in heaven where things are measured by the right standard. Think of how the Father esteems the only begotten, his unspeakable gift to us. Consider what the angels think of him as they count it their highest honor to veil their faces before him. Consider what the blood-washed saints of old think of him as day without night They sing his well-deserved praises. High thoughts of Christ will enable us to act consistently in our relations toward him. The more loftily we see Christ enthroned, and the lowlier we are in bowing before the foot of that throne, the more truly we will act our part towards him. Our Lord Jesus desires us to think well of him, that we might submit cheerfully to his authority. High thoughts of Jesus increase our love and esteem for him. Therefore, dear saints, Think much of your master's excellence. Think of the mighty love which drew him from his throne to become human, born as a baby, despised as a man, and killed upon a cross, and all of it his plan before mankind was even created. Admire him as he conquers all the powers of hell. See him risen, crowned, and glorified. Bow before him as the wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God. And in doing so, your love to him will be as it should. If you're willing and able, please kneel with me as we confess our sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we may know you and know what you are doing in this world and what our role is in it. And Lord, we pray 
that this day we may hear your word and receive it, and that you would change us according to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you remember the context of Luke chapter 1, the first person to be visited by Gabriel was, Gabriel the angel, um, was Zacharias. And his and Elizabeth's story, Zacharias and Elizabeth's story, is in verses 5 through 25 at the beginning of chapter 1 of Luke. And recounts how this old couple's lifelong prayer for a child is going to be answered. In fact, a lot of what's said there in those passages is really the answer to prayer that they've been longing for um, as a couple. That God is indeed a God, our God, who answers prayer. And that's a very important thing that we need to pick up from that. But also in that, as you see the context of that whole account, you see that it's all in God's timing. Okay? So God answers prayer, yes, but he also answers it in his timing, not our agenda, not our timing. And so they pray for a lifetime um, about having a child, and now they're in their older years, probably outside of childbearing years, at least typically, and so, you know, they've kind of probably given up on that and uh, given up on the child, and then God comes in and he answers the prayer in a glorious way. And so you feel, as you read through these passages here in the first chapter of Luke, the expectancy that's been growing, not only in Elizabeth and Zacharias, but in Israel um, over the centuries. And the expectancy of the Messiah coming um, and coming to Israel in and, you're, and they're longing for this. And so here they are um, being overrun by you know, the, this enemy group, the, the Romans and all of that. And, and there, there is just the, this time in Israel where there's oppression and some of those things. And, and it's, just, it's not a pleasant time per se to, to be there in Israel. And so they need to be saved from these things. And now, finally, God begins, as we look at Luke and Matthew and and those accounts especially, here God begins to answer this prayer of not only Zacharias and Elizabeth, but the prayer of Israel for the long-expected Messiah. And we've read passages even today that talk about that. And so those passages are in people's minds. They're praying for those things. They've been longing for the Messiah to come and to really redeem them from, you know, different things that are going on in the world, like the repression of the Romans. Now, with Zacharias and Elizabeth, all they wanted was a child, right? I mean, been, they just wanted a baby, <laughs> right? And the, just give us a child. And now in God's timing, they were going to have a child, but probably different than what they expected. And this, this child, this son that they were going to have, was going to be born to him, and he was going to come in the power of Elijah to be a voice making ready a people for the Lord, for the Messiah, who is to come to save Israel. And so, this isn't just any son, this is going to be a prophet. Okay, He's going to be a great prophet, and they're told that. God was answering this couple's prayers, and he was answering Israel's prayers, but in his timing and in his way. And so... That's, what, that's the context flowing into the text for today. Um, today we have a story of another woman, Mary. She's different. She's kind of at the beginning of her life, right? She's a young maidservant at the beginning of her life, a young woman betrothed, not married yet, but betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. 
But Mary was probably not, if you can think about it, praying for a child. Okay? She was probably not praying for a child, at least not yet. I mean, she, she was probably looking forward to that in the future, but she's not even married yet. She's just engaged. She's betrothed. They hadn't consummated their marriage yet, so probably not praying for a child right, right now. And yet, being a faithful Hebrew, she was looking forward to the Messiah to come and all of those things. But here she was, a virgin, a young woman, and the Lord had plans. Okay, The Lord had plans, his plans for her, for Israel, for the world. And it was going to come through her, through her womb. She was chosen by God for this special event. And she didn't even know it. That's kind of God's way, right? Oftentimes. So the advent of the Messiah, born of a woman, here, here she was going to have the, this, this Messiah, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons, as Paul would later on tell the Galatians. So here we go. Faith with action. Okay? If we had to orchestrate the Messiah coming to the earth, you know, if we were all sitting around in a conference room and we sat down and said, okay, now we're going to plan the birth of the Messiah, and this is how we're going to do it, we would probably not come up with the way that God did it in his word. Because we mess things up. Right? Right? So we would not have done it his way. Okay? And his way is different than ours. We can be sure of that. God's way is different than ours. We would probably have done it with lots of pomp and circumstance and, you know, maybe even like fireworks going off and all of that kind of stuff, right? We wanted to make a, we would want to make a show to have the child born into a royal household, right? Where he's born into a palace with lots of people standing around making sure that nothing goes wrong for this royal household, right? This royal child. That's, that's what we do as people, right? That's how we think a king should be born and should come into the world. And I'm pretty sure we would have missed the virgin birth as well, right? I mean, we wouldn't be thinking along those terms. I mean, how can that happen? That's an impossibility, right? We would have probably missed that if we were planning out the birth of the Messiah. Um, that wouldn't even have occurred to us. You see, God's ways are different than our ways, aren't they? God's ways are different than our ways. So the angel Gabriel, the same angel that had visited Zacharias, comes now to talk with Mary. Now, if you remember, and you look back and you look at Gabriel and who he is and all of those things, he's an important angel. Okay, He's an important angel. Gabriel stands in the presence of the Lord. He stands in the presence of God Almighty. All right? And just let that sink in for a moment. And here is this angel who is called by God, given and singled out and sent by God himself to come talk to Zacharias and then now to come and talk to this young virgin woman, this young betrothed woman, to make these announcements. Now, when you read Zacharias' account, you see that he's a little freaked out by this whole thing, okay? And so here he is, he's gone into the temple, he's light, light the, the uh, incense and all of those, and then this angel is standing there, right? And he's afraid. So he's a little concerned about all of these things that's, that's happening, 
and his trouble and fear fell upon him, the text says. And I'm sure Mary is too, exhibiting fear. So Gabriel comes to her, and he has some things to say to her. And these are pretty amazing things. When you, when you read through, you know, let's not miss, just because of the familiarity of the, of the, the uh, Advent accounts and stuff, let's not miss the mighty things that are being said to her. The first thing that Gabriel says to her is rejoice. Okay? Rejoice. Rejoice, highly favored one. He tells her to be filled with joy and to exhibit that. That's what rejoicing is, is exhibiting the joy that comes out of us. She is highly favored by God, and the Lord her God, he tells her, is with her, and that she is blessed among women. And she doesn't know why yet, right? So she's just going on in life, and this angel is now speaking to her. And he's saying, rejoice, highly favored one. God is with you, and you're blessed among women. These in themselves are glorious words to hear from the angel who stands in the presence of God. It's like hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, that's what she's hearing. And here she is, approached by an angel of the Lord. And she's troubled by him. And, and the stuff that he's saying to her, right? She's troubled by him. That's what the text says. I mean, what kind of greeting is this? Right? What is going on here? It's not the normal greeting you would receive, right? Rejoice! Highly favored one, God is with you. Right? That's not the normal greeting you would receive, especially from an angel. Because we all know, you know, we all encounter angels all the time, right? <laughs> yeah? So, he tells Mary, do not be afraid. Okay? Just like he told Zacharias, do not be afraid. How often does God have to tell his people this? And it's because we have sin and we're, we're used to our sin and all of these things. You see it with Isaiah. You see it, you know, everybody who encounters an angel, or, we're all confronted by the holiness of God. Okay? Jesus, how often does Jesus have to tell his disciples, don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not, for I'm with you. Don't be afraid. So God tells people that over and over again. And here he tells this young virgin woman. Don't be afraid. Okay? Remember what I just told you. Rejoice, highly favored one. Know that God is with you. Know that you're blessed among women. Don't be afraid. And so, he assures you. He assures her. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me. Not of the things that I have said to you, nor of these things that I'm going to say to you. Because he's only partway into the conversation. Look, Mary, you found favor with God. Get that. And she's going to need this reassurance, okay? As she's been favored and graced, that she is blessed and the Lord is with her, she's going to need that encouragement real soon. Why? Because he tells her that she is going to conceive in her womb and bring forth a son. Okay? That's a big thing. She's not married yet. That kind of thing doesn't happen unless you're married or you're being sinful. 
And yet this angel tells her that she's going to conceive in her womb and bring forth a son. You know, unwed pregnancies are shameful in the Hebrew culture. Okay? At one time, they were shameful in our culture because we had a more biblically oriented culture. All right? And so, it's shameful for this woman to be even thinking along these lines. I mean, in reality, it could mean that Joseph could press charges. Her betrothed could press charges and have her stoned. And it means a change to her plans. Right? She's betrothed. She's planning her wedding. She's planning all that stuff that goes on. She's looking forward to those things. And it means a change to her plans. Okay? God's butting in here in her life. He's doing his own thing. He's upsetting Mary's apple cart. This isn't what she had planned. And she stands to lose her reputation as a godly young woman. God's ways are different than our ways. God's ways are different than our ways. God knows her heart, doesn't he? God knows her heart. And he knows she hasn't been immoral. And so right now, he's calling her to trust in him. Trust in me, Mary. Don't be afraid. Have faith in me. Have faith in me and my ways, God is telling her, through Gabriel. To do things and accept things my way and in my timing as I write the story of your life and the life of the son that's coming in your womb. Trust me. Have faith in me. Do not be afraid. His ways are different than ours. His plans are grander than what we can even imagine. His plans are grander than what we can even imagine. Okay? And again, we think our plans are big and showy and stuff. You know, if we're going to talk about a king, we want lots of circumstance and all of that. And, and all this stuff going on around it, right? His plans are greater than that. His plans involve a manger, right? And, you know, animals in the, the barn and, and things like that. Angels and shepherds out on the hillsides. That plan is greater that plan is greater. And so his plans are grander than what we can even imagine. So Gabriel begins to tell Mary, look, you're going to have a son. You're going to conceive in your womb a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. God saves. God saves. Here comes the Messiah. He's, he's saving. He has come. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. Okay, he's, he's, he will be great. And he's going to be called the son of the highest. He's going to be called. So when, he, when Gabriel saying he's the son of the highest. The Hebrews wouldn't utter the name Yahweh, right? Okay. And so Gabriel's you know, kind of dealing with her in that mindset. Okay. And say, he's saying, you're going to have the son of Yahweh in your womb. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary, your son is going to be the long expected Messiah. Get that Mary. He's going to be the long-awaited king who is going to reign forever. This son of yours is going to be the son of God on high. Your son Jesus is going to be the king forever who will save his people. That's how highly favored you are, Mary. You know, imagine that. Put yourself in her shoes I mean, it's dizzying to think about. If you just contemplate it, it's dizzying to think about. It all sounds great, but this isn't what Mary asked for. She wasn't praying for these things. She didn't pray, probably, to have the Messiah, right? But here God is doing these things. His ways are different than our ways. His plans are grander than ours. Now, we could come up with many examples of how God's plans are greater than ours. Right? So, just a couple examples. Calvin, John Calvin, he didn't want to be a pastor. He wanted to be a scholar. That was his goal, to be a scholar, a recluse, to sit and study and write theology. That was his goal. He didn't want to get in all the messiness of people and dealing with people and stuff. He wanted to think high thoughts of God. But God had different plans for him. And look what God did through Calvin and the invaluable experience that made theology practical and and, uh, livable instead of ivory towered like Calvin wanted to do. And so he could bring the theology that he had in his mind, this brilliant man, and bring it down so that we can understand and not just be ivory towered. How valuable was that? God's ways are greater than ours, grander than ours. You know, how many martyrs set out in life saying, yes, my goal in prayer is to be tortured and then burned at the stake. (laughs) Right? How many people set out for that, right? And say that that's their goal. Not many. And yet God uses his plans for greater purposes and brings about the salvation of many through the blood of the martyrs. His plans are greater than ours. His ways are greater than ours. Or take Patrick, St. Patrick. He wouldn't have chosen to be abducted when he was 16 years old and taken to the land of Ireland where there's those crazy, wacky Irish people over there who are nuts. Right? Druid worship. You know, the Druids are all over the place. And they're freaky people. He wouldn't choose that. And yet God had plans for him where he could take this young man out of his comfort zone where he didn't even believe in God, put him into this culture where he had no one else to rely on except God himself where he could pray day and night for six years and God used him to once take him away and then bring him back because he understood the Irish people. He wouldn't have chosen that life for him. He wouldn't have chosen that for himself. 
But God's ways are grander and greater than ours. You see, the Lord uses circumstances in our lives to shape us, to grow us, to impact others, to accomplish his plan. Doug Wilson says, God draws straight with crooked lines. That's what he's doing. That's how God does things. And so it was in Mary's life. What Gabriel is telling her is so far out of what she was expecting, what she had and experienced in her life, that she asks, how? I don't understand. How can this be since I do not know a man? How can this be? How can this happen? Lord, my mind is reeling. I don't understand. In her response, there is much humility How can this happen since I'm not married yet? And here's the humble question. Who am I? I mean, really what she's saying is, who am I that I should have the favor of the Lord in this way? How can this happen? That's all wrapped up in that. And this is different than Zacharias' question. If you look back and you look at his question in verse 18 where he asks, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. He's just been told that he's going to have a child as well. He's like, how shall I know this? Now, on first reading, if you look at those two, they appear very similar. And yet Gabriel strikes Zacharias mute until John is born. Why doesn't he do that with Mary? Right? If you read them both, there's a difference. If you read both of their their questions, there's a difference. Zacharias is your typical Jew... Right? Who, as Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians 1.22, for Jews request, request a sign. For Jews re- request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block into the Greeks' foolishness. Right? That's Zacharias is asking for a sign. Okay? He's not humbly wondering the same way as Mary. He's looking for God to give him a sign. Show me something, Lord. He's interested in seeing what God can do. He's looking for an experience. Seeing Gabriel, the angel before him, might not have been big enough. Let's see more. Give me more, Lord. But Mary humbly asks, I I don't understand how this can be. Help thou my understanding. Help thou my unbelief. I want to understand, but this is beyond my comprehension. Help me understand. And Gabriel gives her the answer in verse 35. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest, right? The power of God, the power of Yahweh will come upon you, will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born from you will be called the Son of God. That's how it's going to happen, Mary. It's not going to involve another man. Here is a key passage to understand for Mary. Here's a key passage for us to understand as well. That this child doesn't come from ordinary sexual relations between a husband and wife. Jesus is going to be different. There will be a difference. For Mary, you are a virgin and you are going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, not another man. The Holy Spirit coming upon you and bringing about this conception. This is vitally important for us to get. It is vitally important for us to get. 
okay? Because this conception in the virgin womb of Mary will make Jesus totally unique among men. Totally unique among men. He alone will have the right to be called, if you will, the natural son of God. And in, in a fear I have of sounding crass, okay, but to kind of drive the point home, Jesus is the biological, okay, biological son of God, if you will, right? We're adopted, all right? Does that make sense? Okay. And this is why her son Jesus will be able to be Jesus, salvation, Yahweh is salvation, and the Son, and He's the carbon copy of the Father, the Son of the Highest, and why He is able to be forever set upon the throne of David, whose kingdom will have no end. Okay? And again, there's hints of resurrection there. And this Son is fulfilling the Isaiah 7 passage of the Virgin, that the Virgin will have a child. He will be fully man, because He's coming from you, Mary. And yet, he will also be fully God through this miraculous conception that has never happened before. Not going to happen again. It is Jesus alone who has this. See, God's ways are different and more glorious than ours, aren't they? His ways are more glorious than ours. And God can do this miraculous thing without having any sin involved in it. That's why the Son is going to be the carbon copy Son of the Most High. No sin. He will have no sin. This is one of the great attacks against Christian faith in our day. Right? The virgin birth. Impossible, says man. Can't happen. A virgin can't conceive. That's impossible, ridiculous, foolishness to the Greeks. Right? That's really what we're talking about. But it did happen. And we need to get that. And we need to understand that. And embrace it. And love it. Because it's God's word telling us this. Okay? He's telling us it's true. Here's the thing. It is the believer's duty to get in line with God's plans. And to submit to his ways. You see, God does amazing things in his plan. And in his timing... He had opened the womb of Elizabeth in her older years, just as he had done with Sarah nearly two millennia before her. And now he goes beyond the impossibly barren womb of a virgin and conceives a child there in a virgin womb. And so he says to Mary, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. I've done it with Elizabeth. And I'm going to do it even greater with you. Because nothing with me, nothing with God is impossible. And what does she say? Here I am, Lord. Use me for your plans not my own. I am your maidservant. You see her response? It's faith. Mary has faith and trust 
in the providence of God, just like we just read in the Heidelberg, right? Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Here I am, Lord. I'm yours. I'm about your plans, not my own. I'm your maidservant. Do to me as you will. Again, this is faith and trust in the provision of God, in the providence of God. What are the potential consequences to this, right? At worst, stoning. At best, shame and a broken broken, uh, reputation. And she has that. You see that in Jesus' life. If you're looking at the Gospels, you can see that comes out. Okay? They doubt Jesus' uh, birth and, and all of that and the legitimacy of his birth. Okay? They know, right? But she gives herself to the Lord. She dies to herself, right? That's what... God calls us to. That's what Jesus calls us to. She dies to herself and to her plans and submits to the will of the Father in heaven. And so it is a believer's duty to get in line with God's ways. So, how do we know what God's plans are? Well, right here. Right? Here it is. This is God's will for our lives. Right? This is His will for our lives. It's not confusing. It's not confusing like we want to make it out to be. Like many people make it out to be. It's very clear. Right? We know. Here's it is. This is, this is God's will for our lives. It's his word. It's his plan for us. And it's for us to study it and conform our ways and understanding to it. We need to be conformed to his word. And where his plan, this plan, differs from the conventional wisdom that we have in our culture and in our understanding and teaching that we have in, in, our, in our world today, Christians, believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, follow his word, believe his word, conform to his word. It's for us to get in line with him and his will and submit to his word, not the other way around. To be like Mary. Be like Mary. Okay? I'm your servant, Lord. Here I am. This gives us then the ability to walk down the paths he leads us, no matter where that might be. No matter where that might lead to. And to go through the doors that he opens to us. Because we're walking in accord with his word. We're not trying to do things our own way. We're dying to ourselves that he might live in us and through us. Love the text in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Right? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. That's the secret thing that belongs to the Lord our God. He knows. We don't. We don't know what's going to happen two years from now, five years from now. We don't know what happens. It's going to happen when Trump becomes the president, you know, the actual president, not just the president-elect. We don't know what the future is going to hold. God does. That's the secret things of the Lord, right? But here in His Word, He says, "But so the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever." Right? Here it is. This is what's revealed. He's given us a lot more since Deuteronomy 29, 29 as well. Okay? A lot more. Right? And so that belongs to us. It's revealed to us 
to us and for our children forever. And then the last part of that verse says it. That we might do all the words of this law. Now we might do all the words of this law that he gives to us right here. That's our duty. That's what we're called to do. If we're a disciple of Jesus, this is what we want to do, right? This is where we want to go. That's the faith of Mary. That's what Mary is saying here when she says, Do unto me thy will, O Lord. I am your maidservant. That's the faith of Mary. That's the great faith of Mary. That God raises up this woman at this time in this place for this purpose. And she's a woman of faith. She's a great woman. Now, finally, what does living faith look like? Living faith also produces action. And so Mary arose in those days and went to see her relative Elizabeth and Zacharias. The angel told her about what happened to Elizabeth. And so she rises and goes, perhaps to be together, to share in the joy of what is happening with them. It's unique. It's something that's happening. Let's be together. And perhaps it's just because Mary's a servant-hearted woman and she wants to go help out Elizabeth in the last trimester of her, her pregnancy to help her out. Right? Probably both. And on her arrival with Elizabeth, Mary receives confirmation of all that she's been told by Gabriel. Because Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks out loudly, says a lot about, says very similar things that Gabriel does. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And that's what Elizabeth, first thing she says out of her mouth. And here we have the like faith of Elizabeth working in concert with Mary's and showing forth the same thing that God had showed him through Gabriel. It's glorious, isn't it? Isn't that glorious? To think of that Mary, here she is. You know, she, she's very early on in her pregnancy and she goes and she gets confirmation, she gets affirmation of all that Gabriel said to her by Elizabeth. And then you see the humility of Elizabeth. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, she knows who's in Mary's womb. She knows this is the Messiah. She knows this is the child that they've been all waiting for, longing for. The long expected Messiah is in the womb of Mary. And she says to her, how is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Elizabeth is full of humility. She's full of humility and wonder at what God is doing here. And so she brings forth praise and rejoicing out of a heart of faith and speaks blessing to Mary and her child. And John, the baby six months old in the womb, he also gets into it as well. Right? And he leaps for joy in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. Now, that is something to contemplate in our society that thinks less and less of children, especially children in the womb. Especially children in the womb. Here's this six-month baby in the womb of his mother, leaping for joy. Savior, Jesus. 
What does faith, living faith look like? Living faith goes forth and puts action to faith. It goes forth and puts action to faith. Just like James says, living faith, faith without works is dead. Action follows true faith. It just does. That's how God's made us to tick. True faith also gets in line with God's will, with God's plan, even when it differs from our own plans and our own goals. And true faith conforms to God and his word rather than to the world. True faith speaks blessing. And it rejoices in God's blessing and is humble. And is humble. And you see that throughout this whole passage. Right? And that's what we are called to in our day. This is the reminder that this text gives to us. That all this really happened to real people. Okay? These aren't just fictional stories that were made up to teach us good lessons. These things are happening, happened in time and space to real people. It is the truth. It doesn't contain the truth. It is the truth. Lived out in people's lives. And this is a reminder to us to be filled with the blessing and joy and hope and thanksgiving that we have during Advent season when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Okay? The birth of Jesus Christ, who, as Gabriel told Mary, is going to be the king. And he is king of kings and lord of lords. And that's what Jesus affirms when he departs. And he's going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. That's a kingly statement. He is king. So what do we do? We submit ourselves unto the Lord, our king, and his word. We live by faith, not by sight. So even when things look like they're all a mess and they're bad and all of those things, we live by faith and we trust in the Lord. We don't live by sight. We live by faith. Trust in the Lord that Jesus is king. He's sitting with all authority right now, ruling and reigning, and his plan is going forth right now. And we can rejoice in that and take confidence in that and know, just like Mary, he will provide for you. He will provide for you everything that you need, and his plan is so much greater than our plan. And as you walk by faith, Trust in him alone, just like Mary did, just like Elizabeth did, Zacharias, right? Joseph, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, the hope that you give to us. Lord, we thank you for how you raised up this young woman, Mary, to bear your son. Oh, Lord, may we rejoice and be glad in that and be full of thanksgiving for what he has done in our place. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us and create in us clean hearts. Oh, Lord, that we would rejoice in everything that we're The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want, I shall not want. 
At Jesus' birth, the shepherds came to worship him because he was the chief shepherd. He is shepherd Yahweh in human flesh, God personified, now seen in living form. He is the shepherd of Israel. He is a Davidic king who will shepherd his people with skillful hands. All who came before him were thieves and robbers. But there in the manger was the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, leaving us without want and leaving us without need. The difference between good shepherds and wicked shepherds boils down to this. Good shepherds feed their sheep, while evil shepherds devour their sheep. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus spreads a table for 5,000 in the wilderness, while Herod celebrates his birthday by serving up the head of John the Baptist. Jesus lifts the burdens from his sheep while the Pharisees pile burdens and waits on them. Jesus welcomes publicans and sinners at his table while the Pharisees refuse to even touch them. This is what the table is about, of course. This table belongs to Jesus, King Jesus. This table is the table of the Good Shepherd, the incarnate shepherd of Israel. He invites the lame, the weak, the outcast, the leper, the publican, the sinner, and it promises to feed us all abundantly. This table shows us that Jesus is our shepherd, and we shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores and strengthens our souls. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though we walk through valleys of shadows of death, we fear no evil, for he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. This table tells us that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, our good shepherd forever. So welcome and come to the table of the good shepherd. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.